Well, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Luke chapter 22. There's also a handout in the uh, bulletin. Anyway, we welcome you uh, in our time together here today. I love meals. You probably know that by looking at me. Okay. Um, and, and it's interesting, of all the gospel writers, Luke records more meals than anybody else. I was thinking about meals. Meals are interesting times. I mean, obviously, we're eating. Um, they, they often are times that are enriching and encouraging and promote intimacy, don't they? But then you perhaps have been to Thanksgiving dinners in the past with extended family that um, you wouldn't use the word necessarily intimacy to describe it. Level of tension. Never quite know what Uncle Henry's going to say. Do, do, do you know? I mean, so meals, meals are, can often be revealers, too, of a lot of things, can't they? Times of intimacy and, and also other, a variety of things can kind of serve. Sometimes you have to say some pretty hard things to your children, and you say it around a meal. And what I was thinking about, we're going to be coming and looking at a meal scene today from Luke 22. And you are going to find more emotion stirring than you can possibly get a handle on. I mean, they are everywhere. I mean, if you want to see intimacy, it's here. If you want to see hope, it's here. If you want to see treachery and betrayal, it's here. It's all over the place. So come with me, Luke chapter 22. And we kind of want to walk our way through what is called the Passover or what we typically call the Last Supper of our blessed Lord. The Bible says this in Luke 22, verse 1. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. And in antiquity, they were technically two different feasts, but they were right jutted right up next to each other. Passover would just lead right into the Unleavened Bread. And, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of the people. And so, it's Passover, a time when you're supposed to look back and say, remember that final plague in Egypt when to preserve the firstborn child, the son, you would have to kill a lamb and put its blood on the doorpost and God would pass over. And Egypt, the king, Pharaoh, when he saw this, he was finished when all kinds of people died when the Jews obeyed and he didn't. And so when you think back at Passover, you think about God passing over and also delivering us from Egypt. It's a wonderful time. What are the religious leaders thinking about? Kill them. We've got to find a way to kill them. But we can't do it in a way that will create problems with the people. We need an insider. And they get the insider in verse 3. Verse 3, And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot. Folks, that's a, that's a scary statement. For Satan himself to enter into this man who had opened up his life, a life marked by greed, it's a scary thing. Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. 
And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were delighted and agreed to give him money. And he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the multitude. So Judas meets with them and Judas says, look, I'll figure it out. I know where he tends to go at different points. I'll watch for that. I'll tell you when he's going to be there. This will work. And they're delighted. They're going to give him money. It's a, from their perspective, it's a great deal. It's a good day. That whole sub-theme is out there. And if Jesus was just a normal human being, he would know nothing of it, would he? But he is like no other. And what Judas doesn't realize is all of that, which is wicked and sinful and wrong and will be punished, will be used by God to accomplish his purposes. So Judas, who's doing this suddenly, Jesus doesn't hear us. <laughs> Jesus knows. It's, it's, it's all under his watch care. Notice what else he does. I, I love this next passage. It reminds me a little bit of the trans, uh, not transfiguration, but when, triumphal entry, um, where Jesus has some guys go and, and get the donkey and just all, the whole thing. It's, it's, it's marvelous. Listen to what happens. So do you see these sub-themes? So one theme is betrayal to kill Jesus. That, that's one theme we're seeing around the meal. What else are we seeing? Verse 7. Then came the first day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So this would be Thursday of Passion Week. Jesus would die on Friday. And what would happen is um, you would take that lamb and, and, and if we can trust some of the records, there would be several times during the day where you would just get into these lines and they would just move through and they would kill that lamb and they would bleed it out and, they, and then they'd put it on the sacrifice, they, they'd sacrifice it and they'd turn around and give it back to you so you could use it for a roast for that meal, for that night, okay? So they, they had a whole system and they, they could just get thousands of these things through. It's an amazing thing how they did it. So anyway, you had to prepare. So then came the first day of the 11 bread on which the Passover land had to be sacrificed and he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. So they would have had to go through that entire process where you'd have that one lamb and then they would come and they would eat it together, right? Do all that. And they said to him, okay, we can do that, but where do you want us to actually prepare it? We've got to have a room and you're supposed to do this inside Jerusalem, you know? So, and Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. Now, I want you to think about this. What if I told you to do this one? He said, look, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Now, that in itself is unusual because who's normally carrying water in antiquity? Women. Okay, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you're ready for that one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Follow him into the house that he enters. Okay, so you watch this guy. See, it's an unusual guy. Some people think he may be in the scene, whatever. But you watch this guy follow him. And you shall say to the owner of the house, I mean, I'm wondering what that looks like. So we're just kind of following this guy. He goes into the house. We walk into, hi, I'm, I'm Peter. <laughs> and this is John, right? I mean, what, what's that look like exactly? Well, anyway, they, they, they follow him in. And you shall say to the owner of the house, 
The teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which, which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And you know what I love? I love verse 13. They departed and found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover meal. But wouldn't you be a little bit nervous? You know, like, what if we find the wrong guy? I know a lot of guys don't do this, but... And, you know, a little embarrassing, like you walk into the house and you find, oh, wrong house. You know, we don't even have an upper room here. Okay, whatever. You know, you know what I mean? I, I mean, but what I love about these guys is they just obey. And what they find, again, while there's this subcurrent of betrayal and hatred against Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord is in total control. Well, where are we going to go? You go through the system. And when you get to the upper room, you lay out the food, you lay out the wine, you do all the stuff. It'll all be prepared. It, it, it'll all work out if you just do what I told you to do. And they do. Which brings us to verse 14. And when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. Can, can I just do a short aside with you? And look, I, I don't want to get into this in great detail. Last year, the Matthews kind of coordinated for us, and we had like a, our Passover meal, which was wonderful. Um, so, but I, if, we, if we could put this up, Mark. I, let me just talk it through, and then what I've done is I put in red the verses that we're going to find here in Luke chapter 22, because it can get a little bit confusing. But as you try to put some of this stuff together, and there's a little bit of debate on some things, but this is generally accepted. What the Passover meal would tend to go through this system. First of all, there would be a blessing and the first cup of wine would be taken at the Passover meal. And, and somebody would say something like, I bring you out. Then there would be the actual serving of the meal. They wouldn't eat it yet, but they would put out the unleavened bread, the herbs, the greens, the stewed fruit, the roast lamb, and everything was symbolic, whether, whether it talks about simplicity or, or the hardship that they went through. Everything meant something. Okay. And then the youngest son was supposed to ask a question. Now, that doesn't actually happen here at the Passover meal because there's no boys there. But normally, why is this night different from other nights? And then the Passover story would be retold at that point. Then there would be a second cup of wine in which... The host would typically say, I will free you from being slaves to them. And then they would sing from Psalm 113 or perhaps Psalm 113 and 114 together. They haven't eaten yet, okay? The meal's all laid out there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking if I'm one of the boys there, I'm thinking like, let's hurry up and read this psalm, man. I want to get to it, okay? But, but, but they have a whole procedure. So they would sing the praise psalm, Psalm 113, 114, or just Psalm 113. Then the host would break the bread, and then they would eat the meal. Then there was a third cup of wine in which the host would say, at the end of the meal, I will redeem you. They would sing psalms again, Psalm 114 to 118 or 115 to 118, depending upon what they sang earlier. They would sing another series of psalms. And then there would be a fourth cup of wine. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. 
That was the typical system as we try to kind of put it together from some later rabbinic writings that they would actually go through. Luke doesn't go through every one of these. But as you're reading, I've highlighted for you verse 17, 18, 19, and 20. You can see what Jesus is saying at different points along the meal. Does that make sense? So I'm going to just kind of leave that up there as we're talking, if you want to kind of look at that for reference. So as we walk our way through this, if you're saying, where are we in this Passover meal? This might help you to kind of get oriented to that. Verse 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And again, we didn't do this with the Matthews a year ago because it would have been kind of uh, strange to do. But in antiquity, I mean, we sat around chairs when we did our thing, right? But, but they wouldn't have done that. They would have, they would have probably been on like their elbow. Tables are like really short and the feet are kind of all fanned out all the way around, right? And, and you would just kind of pick your food as you go along, okay? So, but, so they're, they're, they're in this formation, and he says this to them in verse 15. And, and, and I, I want you to pick up the emotion here, folks. It's powerful. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Man, I, verse 16. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This would have been said at the beginning of this meal. Jesus is doing something incredible. They are together eating this Passover meal. And Jesus is saying, guys, I am going to suffer. After this meal, I am going to suffer. And I just want this moment with you. This intimate time. I just earnestly desire it. And I want you to know something. I'm going to have this meal with you. I'm going to suffer. And I will not eat with you in that setting, in that unique way, again, until I come back and set up my kingdom. What are you thinking about as a disciple about this point? I mean, you were thinking you were just getting the Passover meal set. Jesus is turning the whole thing on its head, isn't he? He's going to so transform that that we don't call it the Passover as Christians. What do we call it? The Lord's Supper. And so, guys, I want to be with you. I'm going to suffer. And that suffering, which is symbolized by what I'm going to talk to you about in just a minute, is going to change everything. And because I'm going to suffer, I will one day come and we will have beautiful, perfect fellowship, the marriage supper of the Lamb in the future. They're like, wow, they're getting a lot here. We read this and say, yeah, no big deal. We do communion. They hadn't done it yet. It's all being introduced. And when he had taken a cup, and this would have probably been, again, the first cup here to start everything off. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. You know, there was some debate on this. But largely in antiquity, if you were having a meal together, you didn't share the cup. 
You normally each got your own cup. But this is a little bit different, isn't it? Jesus wants to so promote the oneness and the unity between his people that he takes this cup at the very beginning. And he says, I want you to pass this around and I want you guys all to drink from it and I want you to do it together. Communion was never meant to be a solo sport, was it? It's not about me, it's about us. And Jesus in doing this at the Passover saying, guys, I'm breaking a little bit with protocol, but I want you to take this and drink from it because this, this is the last time we will do this in this symbolic way until the future. And I want you to know that it's about us, it's not about just one. Or it's not about a group of individuals, it's about us as a group. Verse 19. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, and folks, this would have been here then, the breaking of the bread right before they actually eat the Passover meal. Okay? And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them saying, now, now this one is brand new revelation for them. He takes the bread, and they're not just breaking it to eat it. He's, in breaking it, he's saying, I want you to know that now, whenever you break the bread in the future, you will remember that this is all about a, my body, my life, which has been broken. I who will suffer for you. This is my body, which is given for you. Listen to this. Do this in remembrance of me. Where is Jesus? It's right there. I mean, how are they reeling it? I'm trying to think myself. I'm thinking like, okay, we got the Passover meal. All right. All right. Jesus just told us he's going to suffer. Okay. And we've heard it before, but here we go again. There's a kingdom coming in the future. And this is the last time he's eaten this thing with us. What? Okay. Okay, I'm reeling on that. All right, let's get to the meal. Okay, we, he gets up again. And yet, now we break the bread and we, we, we break the bread and we pass it around and we understand the simplicity that it's teaching. And all of a sudden Jesus breaks it and says, I am going to die for you. So when you do this in the future, when you take the bread, think about my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, Jesus, you're still here. <laughs> Jesus is saying, yeah, but I'm leaving. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I will resurrect, but then I'm go I'll, I'll be ascending. And guys, what I'm telling you now, I want you to do not in remembrance of the Passover, but in remembrance of of my suffering. 
for all of the Old Testament period of time, folks, whenever you want to look back to some great event, you would go back to the Passover or to the crossing in the Red Sea, and you would just always go back. That's our event. That's our event. Can you imagine if Jesus wasn't the Son of God and he was saying this stuff? He would be the biggest egomaniac that ever lived. Or the Son of God. I go with the second. Because now, when you look back, you don't look back to Passover anymore. You look back to a time when I suffer and my body was broken for you. So they ate the meal. Would you like to know what the conversation was around that meal? Well, we actually do know some of it from John, John 13, actually. But, but, but they eat the meal. And the Bible goes on to say this. Look at verse 19. Oh, I'm sorry. When he had taken bread, he, he said, we break it. This is my body, which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten. Probably means then, They've broken the bread. They've eaten the Passover meal. You see the third cup of wine? So Jesus stands up with that third cup of wine, but now he's going to teach them this represents something. When you look at this, don't look back to Passover more, anymore. You're going to look to something very, very different. Look at what he says. In the same manner, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Brothers and sisters, in the Old Testament, when blood is poured out, it speaks of atonement and redemption and hope. So they're picking up this third cup in which it, you would say, I will redeem you. And Jesus, can you see that, picking it up? And maybe he also said this too, I don't know. If he, can you imagine if he said, I will redeem you? Because this cup represents my blood, which will be poured out for you in sacrifice. And it's not any old covenant. It is the new covenant in my blood. Do you know everything that was promised back in the Old Testament about a coming new covenant and the giving of the Spirit and transformation from the inside out? All of those promises, it's right here because of me. What I will suffer, what I will go through, my blood being poured out will establish a brand new covenant. Men and women will not come to God through a nation, but through a son. And they will trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. He will give them of his spirit, and he will then transform them from the inside out in a way that only God can do. And it's, I was holding the cup like that, that it would spill. Um, and it, and it's, all, it's all because of what this cup represents, which is my death for you. It's marvelous, isn't it? 
how you feeling as a disciple about now? <laughs> and they're like, wow. I mean, we've, I mean, they've heard this stuff. Jesus been teaching, but it's just like, in one moment, man, death, transformation, new covenant, kingdom coming for sure because this is going to happen. Just the whole thing, you're like, wow. I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to pull one of these guys aside and say, look, you've got to talk me through how you were feeling like at every point. Wouldn't you love to know that one? Hey, John, give me just five minutes, man. Nah, give me ten. Um, actually, time is not an issue, so let's just talk. You know, whatever. But, but, but man, I, 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 got, I got a lot of guys I want to interview when I get to heaven. And I know we'll be so enamored with Christ, that stuff will be to the side. But at least that's how I think. Now, wouldn't you think after saying all of that, speaks of love and intimacy and sacrifice. Don't put anything else on our blessed Lord. He's doing everything. But notice what he goes on to say. And how would you feel if you were Judas? But behold, verse 21, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. Do you know how hard that would be in antiquity? I mean, look, if I have you over to a meal... It is a statement of security and protection for you, at least for that meal. And here is, here, here's Judas. He had slyly gone over and talked to those guys, and now he's figuring out just the right opportune time. He's really pretty tricky, you know. And Jesus says, the, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. For indeed... The Son of Man is going as it had been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Had God planned from eternity past that Jesus would die? Yes. So Judas is off the hook, right? No. We have perfect interplay between a sovereign God who knows exactly what's going to happen and that will not stop his plan, it will actually be a means through which he accomplishes his plan. So we have God's sovereignty on one hand and we've got man's culpability and responsibility on the other. And they are all perfectly wedded together. When Peter in Acts chapter 2 is preaching to the Jews, he says the exact same thing. He says, you have done this to Jesus Christ because of that, there's judgment. But it was all by the predetermined plan of God that his son would die on the cross that you could go free. It is divine sovereignty, human responsibility, all meshed together so that man is responsible, but God is in control. They began to discuss amongst themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. <laughs> and we'll get into that lively debate next week. But what I want you to see is this. When you think of Passover, you should recall that it is, it is a time of incredible betrayal 
That as Christ is giving his all for his men that he loves, one of them has betrayed him. It doesn't keep him from loving that man. But that hurts. And the Passover meal has now been transformed, as the Apostle Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians 11, and has been transformed into what we call the Lord's Supper. And so Paul largely quotes from Luke's account, specifically says, do this in remembrance of me. And this is what I want you to think about. Paul will say the same thing. Do this until I come. So when we practice the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do today, there is always a, a looking back and a looking forward. Always. We always look back to the fact that our blessed Lord has established the new covenant by his death, burial, and resurrection for us, right? That, though, is a guarantee of what is to come. The one who has done that will one day come back and we will all bask in the best feast and meal that you could possibly imagine. I mean, you can think in your mind about the, like, the best meal you've ever had. And I, I can go back and think about some restaurants like saying, that was one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. This will trump everything because of who is there. And we will bask in his glory and his presence, this coming king, in a way that we just experience intimacy. And, and which It's going to, I don't even know how to describe it because I can't. It's going to be so good. And Jesus says, Every time you do communion, look back. Thank you, Lord. Look forward. Yes, come, Lord. And in the process, we're going to tell as many people about how wonderful he is. And that's what we do. I don't know where you are on this whole thing. Is it possible? that you're here with us today. You've been around church for quite a while. You've done churchy things. But in many ways, you're not much different than Judas. You know the lingo, but you don't know the Lord. Is it possible? Is it possible that you could hear us sing? You could, you could take communion, which you shouldn't be. You shouldn't if you're not a believer. Is, is it possible that we could have Judas-like people in the most intimate expression of thanks to God? Yeah, it is, actually. And our great prayer for you is that you would just respond to the working of the Spirit in your heart. Come to the cross and find Jesus for the first time. But for believers, I hope what we're going to do here in just a few moments is an old hat. I hope you will take time to think of what your blessed Lord has done for you. The physical death of Christ on the cross, folks, was awful. You know, the Romans had really designed crucifixion. Well, they didn't design it. They took it over from the Phoenicians, and there's some debate where they got it from. But, but the bottom line is this. They wanted to come up with a kind of death that would be a warning to anybody that got in the way of Rome in the future. And they figure if you hang somebody on a cross, 
and he's suffocating and he pulls himself up to breathe and he goes through this process and people can mock him and you can do all kinds of things to him and you just let him hang there until he finally dies and, and if it's getting too close to a feast, you break his leg so he can't pull himself up and so I'll suffocate more quickly. You know, they had it all worked out. And the physical death of Christ was awful, but it, hadn't, it couldn't compare to what he did for us spiritually. Because all kinds of people have died on the cross down through history. But my blessed Lord took our sins. It was abandoned by the Father. The Passover was all about protecting the firstborn. And the Lord's Supper was all about the firstborn being given. It's an amazing thing. Will you bask in that? Will you thank him for what he's done and anticipate what he's going to do? And let that change the way you live today. Father.